Thank you. Good evening. Strange, isn't it? It's only when you come to the front, you realise who's here. <laughs> you think, oh, there's nobody here. And then you notice there is. I want to uh, just share a few thoughts around uh, the first chapter of the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Um, if you've got your Bibles with you or not, uh, I think the words will come up on the screen. So I'm just going to read uh, just the first 14 verses of uh, this uh, chapter. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives also in you. For this reason I remind you to flan, fan, fan into flame, it's hard to say that, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join in with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace, the grace given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how you used Paul and others to, to send these words down to your church through the ages. Your anointed words. And Father, as we just hear them tonight, as we think about them, as we hear what you have to say to us through them, Lord, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds, open lives, Lord, that we might be indeed transformed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've had a bit of a strange week this week. I, uh, I think it was about uh, four or five weeks ago, Phil said to me, why was I around, would I be able to uh, speak tonight? And I said, uh, yeah, I could do that. And then I began to think and pray about, what, so what am I going to talk about? And very quickly, this passage from 2 Timothy, I just felt uh, sort of laid on my heart. Um, and so I managed to do some early preparation. 
And I began to uh, think, what is it that what is it God might be saying to us through that? And then I came to church last Sunday morning, and uh, a couple of the things that I wanted to say were ticked off. <laughs> and then I thought, well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's all right. So on Monday morning, I sat down and finished it off and thought, right, I've got it, got it all sorted, which is really unusual for me. I'm, I'm much more of a Saturday afternoon sort of person uh, for a Sunday. And, uh, but then I came, we came to the Hungry for God prayer meeting on uh, Monday night. And all the things that had not been ticked off on Sunday morning then got ticked off on Monday night. And as I got back into the car on to go home, I said to Val, I'm going to tear my sermon up, I might as well start again. And she very wisely said, uh, sorry, what did you say? I didn't hear you. And suddenly I thought, well, maybe, maybe we've not heard. Maybe some of us have not heard. And sometimes, even if we have heard, it's good to hear it again, isn't it? So for those who are visitors, those who have not been with us, we, as, the, as a fellowship here, we've been, this last month, we've just been... Uh, Seeking God, really, and uh, we just sense a, a stirring of the Spirit. Maybe God is bringing us into uh, a new season. And one of the first uh, things that I thought of, why I thought of this, this letter, is because 2 Timothy is a letter written to the church when it was about to enter a new season. In this case, it was about the, the, um, the leadership, the apostolic leadership of Paul being handed on to a new generation. There's a strong possibility that this letter was the last letter that Paul wrote. He writes from prison in Rome, and many commentators think that within a few weeks of writing it, he had been martyred, killed in Rome. You might remember, a bit of background, but you might recall that at the end of the book of Acts, we leave Paul under house arrest in Rome, but he is from what we understood, able to receive guests, and he was able to continue to teach and, uh, and to preach. So the description that we have in 2 Timothy doesn't quite match up and suggests a slightly different scenario. And so it's suggested that uh, at some point, uh, Paul is released from this initial imprisonment uh, in Rome, and he gets some opportunity to, uh, to travel again. Some traditions suggest he got as far as Spain. Um, but whatever happened, he gets arrested again. He's charged with a crime, probably treason, uh, probably for asserting the name of Jesus above, uh, the, above Caesar, and he is sent back to Rome, and this time he's tried and condemned to death. Probably he died around the year 66 A.D., so it was probably in the final months or even weeks of his life, maybe after his trial, that Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy. We might see it, therefore, as his, almost like his last will and testimony. What he was doing is was preparing Timothy and the church for a new season. And this new season, as I said, was about passing on the baton to a new generation, it was about getting the church ready for what God was going to do next. Passing on the battle. Now back in uh, August, Val and I had the... Uh, uh, we, we thought we'd treat ourselves. And we went down to the London Stadium and we had uh, three nights at the, uh, 
uh, World Athletics Championships. Wonderful uh, occasion, it was great fun. And we were there on that Saturday night, I don't know if anybody watched it on the telly. It was supposed to, it was billed as the, the last track appearance of Usain Bolt. But the highlight of the evening was not Usain Bolt, but it was the occasion where first uh, the British women uh, won silver, and then amazingly, the British men relay, 100 meter relay team, won gold. It was one of those, you know, Amazing experiences. The noise in the stadium was just incredible. When you're running a relay race, in some sense, it doesn't matter how fast you run. It's how well you pass on the baton. You may be the best 100-meter runners in the world, but unless you can pass that baton on, it's useless. The British team have not always been good at passing their baton on. <laughs> uh, we often call it the, oh, we're going to have a go at the drop the baton race. <laughs> but this occasion they got it, round, got it round and it was all more exciting. But here is Paul passing on the baton to Timothy, and as I say, preparing the church for a new season. And a major part of what he wants to do is to encourage and reignite, if you like, Timothy's vision and passion. If the church was going to go into this new time, this new season, then his people need to have vision and passion. I read a book uh, recently. Uh, I apologize if a lot of my uh, um, illustrations are sports-based, but there we go. It probably shows you something from where I come. I read a book recently about a football manager And he reminisced about his childhood years playing for his school football team. And he recalls how uh, in his first year, their coach, their teacher, called the entire team together and he asked them, who wants to play in the Premier League when you grow up? And every single hand went up. And it seemed that every child there dreamed of playing in an FA Cup final at Wembley and scoring the winning goal. And he thought, well, that's great. You know. So when he became a teacher himself, when he became coach to the school football team, he thought, I'll try that. And so he called all these kids together. And a week before the opening day of the season, he said to them, who want, here wants to grow up and play in the Premier League? And he said, not a single child raised their hand. Not one child had the vision to believe that they could become a Premier League footballer. He says his team didn't do very well that year. Not surprising. What a contrast between people who have vision and people who lack it. Vision is something that pushes us on. Someone once described vision as hope with a blueprint. Vision is what an inventor thinks of when he thinks outside the box to create something new. Vision is what a mother has when she looks at her newborn baby and imagines all that that child could become as they grow up. Vision has the way of ignoring those things that, get, that pull us back and chase the dream regardless of how many people say it can't be done. In our Christian journey, 
We go through times when our vision burns brightly, but other times when it fades. When the flame of our vision begins to dim, its passions begin to ease, and its heat begins to cool. And it seems that something like that had been happening to Timothy. Paul had sent Timothy to salvage the situation, in a difficult situation in the church in Ephesus. Yet when Timothy got there, he found it... <coughs> He found himself. Sorry. He found himself (laughs) way over his head. The entire leadership team in the Ephesian church was older than he was. And they didn't seem to respect his leadership. And to make matters worse, from what we understand, Timothy was quite a a, a shy uh, and quiet young man. Upfront leadership was quite, came quite hard for him. And therefore we hear also that the, the stress of, of, of his ministry was affecting his health. Um, he complains of stomach uh, ailments. Timothy's vision and passion had begun to dissipate in all that was happening. And the excitement and the enthusiasm that he'd once felt when he joined Paul's ministry team some years earlier was ebbing away. Somewhere between his bad health, his discouragement, the church, and probably his concern for what was happening to Paul, Timothy's vision had slipped. And Timothy needed, Paul knew, God knew, that Timothy needed that passion, that vision, renewed if the church was to move into this new season. He and the church needed to be encouraged and equipped for all that God had for them. So what does Paul say to Timothy, to the church? What does he say to us? Firstly, Timothy is encouraged to remember his heritage and the foundations of his faith. He is encouraged to remember how he got to where he was. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul's first appeal to Timothy is to remember his wonderful spiritual heritage and the foundations that go back at least two generations to his grandmother. This faith that was passed on to Timothy, probably as a child. In reminding of it, Paul means to build some steel into Timothy's soul. Son, you've got a great heritage. You've got a great foundation. I can see the faith of your mother and your grandmother. Now I encourage you, live up to it. We all have that heritage and history. I spoke a few few months ago about the need to build up our spiritual memory banks, to build those uh, memorials that will help us when times get hard, that will encourage us. Last Sunday, Phil was telling us last Sunday morning about how the church here has a heritage built on the lives and the prayer and the witness of many people down many uh, years And those stories that we can tell about how God has blessed us in the past are stories we take into the new season. We don't forget them. We don't say, oh, that's the old times. We use them. They are the foundations for the future. 
They tell us that if God has blessed us in the past, then he will do so in the future. But when I spoke about those memorials, I also warned that memorial stones can easily become gravestones. In church terms, can I warn us that this is about heritage and foundations that give encouragement and life and not tradition. Traditions that we hold on to can easily kill and limit what God can do. I was struck by that story that, uh, that Phil told of Alice. Wonderful. We need to let go of these things if it means the kingdom of God is going to come. I know a few church leaders that would love to have a few Alices in their congregations, I tell you. Sometimes we hold on to the wrong things, don't we? We need to let go of what's not important, but hold on as we move into this new season. We might be challenged, therefore, to let go, some of us, to let go of some things that are precious, that are important, things that matter to us. But I pray that God will help us to know what our foundations that bring encouragement to life and what are traditions that hold us back. I think there are two other reasons why Paul wants Timothy, Timothy to um, look back to his heritage, his foundations. First, he needs to be reminded about what's important to him in his walk what's been important to him in his walk with God up to this point. In verses 13 and 14, he says, that's why I'm suffering, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I've believed and am convinced he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until this day, till that day. What you heard from me, keep as the sound pattern of teaching with faith and love in the Lord Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. As we read through into chapter 3, he says, But as for you, continue what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As Timothy looks to his heritage, he is to see his most important foundations, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel isn't some set of vague ideas that uh, the apostles dreamed up at some point, but they're rooted in history, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Rooted in Scripture, told us, and in the experience of the church. Paul isn't suffering there in Rome. He isn't facing death, facing death in Rome of something he's half convinced of. I know whom I have believed. I used to sing that song, didn't I? I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him unto that day. Paul knows, and he says, Timothy, guard that deposit that you learned, that you've that, that's become real in your life. Hold fast to what you, you know to be true. 
Why is that so important? Because a new season, as Timothy has discovered, brings new challenges and renewed opposition. When a church is on the move, the enemy does not stand around idle. I promise you. But we'll seek to disrupt, destroy and undermine. If we are to walk in what God has for us, we have to look to Jesus. We have to hold fast to the faith and we need to know our Bibles like we've never done so before. That's where our grounding is. That's where our foundation is. And it must be at the heart of all that we do and all that we are. Secondly, acknowledging about how we got here is also about recognising that we are here. You may think that's a strange thing to say. What do I mean? I mean that it's important to recognise that we don't just happen to be here. Whenever I look around the church, and I don't just mean this one, I mean all churches, it's always struck me, what an odd group of people. Some odder than others, I can tell you. But what an odd group of people. We come from different places, we like different things, we're different in character, in size, in shape, in background, in education, experience and wealth. We're different in so many ways. As some of you will know, I, I've worked in, uh, in, in North and East London for, for long parts of my life um, and in places like Islington and, uh, and, and Hackney and uh, places like that. We would have just every continent and, you know, in our time in Islington, I think there was one stage where we literally had people from every single continent in the world, and we had about 40 different languages spoken. What a mixed group of people. It's one of the great miracles of God, isn't it? That he gathers such an amazing varied group of people and pulls them together. And why are we here together? Because we love Jesus. And God pulls us together. I remember, uh, again, a few years ago, in the, when I was in Islington, just after the 7-7 seven, seven bombings, you remember uh, that uh, time? Um, we were in Islington at the time, and the, the, uh, a quarter of the people that were killed um, on that day lived in Islington. And uh, after... Uh, a few months or so, I was invited with some other faith leaders to a meeting with the local council leaders. And they wanted us to discuss the, uh, the fractured nature of the community in the borough and because the government had this wonderful new agenda for inclusion. Everybody needs to be included. And while discussing this, he, one of the council leaders uh, said, uh, wouldn't it be great, he said, if we, if we could have meetings all around the borough where people of different ages, ethnicity, economic backgrounds could meet together so we could break down the barriers. I, I did just take the opportunity to remind him that's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And I invited him uh, to come along. We may be, in the world's terms, a disparate group of people, but we are called together by God at this time and in this place. Paul reminds Timothy he's not in Ephesus by accident. 
There's a story that goes back, as I say, even to his grandmother, right through up to the time when he spent, that he spent with Paul and others on mission. He didn't just turn up in Ephesus. People prayed, listened to God, and then he was sent and commissioned by Paul and others. God had a plan and a purpose for him, and being in Ephesus was a part of that. Acknowledging your story of how you got here, your heritage, means you have to recognize that you are here. And you, you are here for a reason and a purpose. You may think you just happened to turn up. You may even think tonight, uh, you thought, that uh, I don't know, shall I go, shall I go? You may have thought that it was your decision. But it would have been by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That you are here. We are here not just tonight, but as part of this fellowship for this time in this place. We were reminded on Monday night of that uh, of the story of, of Esther. And I was struck this morning. Who did we dedicate this morning? Esther. And we're reminded again of that time when, when Esther finds herself in a position of responsibility and privilege, and someone says to her, Who knows? But you have come to your opposition. For such a time as this. We are here by the plan and purpose of God for such a time as this. God has called us to this place to be part of his work right here at this time. We all have a part to play. God has put us here for a reason. As well as encouraging Paul, uh, sorry, encouraging Timothy to take strength from his heritage and the foundation that he has, he also encourages them to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. The amazing gift of God's Holy Spirit. Fan into flame that gift that God has given you We already have it. We already have all that God has and wants for us. God has lavished his gifts upon us. He has given us all that we need. And he says, just fan into flame the gifts. I love that, uh, and I think Phil used it, used the word in the prayer at the beginning of the service. God has lavished his gifts upon his church. It's a lovely word, isn't it? Lavished. It's one of those words that says what it means. God has not just eked out a little bit, or a little bit for you, and a little bit for you, and a little bit for you. He has lavished his spirit upon his people. We have, again, as... Paul says in Ephesians, every spiritual blessing in Jesus. And we have to fan it into flame. And it's not just a, it's not about some pathetic little flame on a matchstick. It's about a roaring fire. See, I don't believe that Jesus went to the cross for me so that I might become just this little pathetic flame on a matchstick. 
I think he went to the cross for me and for you that we might be a roaring fire. And he says to Pete, Timothy, you've already got it all. Just fan into flame the gift that you have. This is the only time in these letters that Paul uses the analogy of fire to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's elsewhere in Scripture, but in Paul, this is the only time that he uses it. And it doesn't necessarily imply that Timothy has allowed the fire to die down, because we can all, and we can all easily do that. Like Timothy, if we are to know all that God has for us, we should fan the flames and release those gifts that God has given us. It's about re-energizing old gifts and stepping out into new ones. It's about releasing all of us. Remember, we're all here. It's not about a few. Releasing all of us into the ministries and giftings that God has poured out on his church. Lastly, it's always a bit of a... (sighs) Paul tells Timothy that this Holy Spirit of God, this flame, this fire that is within him, is not a spirit of timidity and fear, but one of power, love and self-discipline. Now, there's a whole sermon in that verse alone. But for now, I'll just say it's Paul encouraging Timothy to step in, not with timidity, but with boldness, to be bold and strong in his witness. I have never been more convinced that this is a time for the church to be bold. To be honest, it's too late to be anything else. When I look around our nation and our communities, it's too late to be anything else. And I wonder and I worry, what are we leaving for the next generation? If we really want a breakthrough in our town and villages, in our nation, if we really want people to come to know Jesus, and I don't, I don't just want... I just find that in my heart. I don't just want ones and twos anymore. I don't, I don't want ones and twos of people coming to know Jesus and coming into his kingdom. I just desire to see tens and hundreds and thousands. But if that is to happen, it's because we step out boldly. It's time to take bold steps of faith. Bold steps that, are, that come from our vision and our purpose, drawing from our foundations, recognizing why we're here, fanning the flames of our gifts so that we can all know what God has for us, that we might walk in all that God has for us in this season. Amen? Shall we pray?